Dublin's Talking Sport with Ken Doherty and Reggie Corrigan. Sponsored by insuremycars.ie. Low cost car insurance specialists. See how much you can save at insuremycars.ie. On Sunshine 106.8. Dublin's Talking Sport. Welcome to Dublin's Talking Sports podcast with me, Ken Doherty, and my good friend, Reggie Corrigan. Thanks for tuning in to catch up on the latest GAA, football, rugby, and all the crack. Enjoy the show, and don't forget, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Very well, Sean, very well. The weather's lovely, as I said, it's beautiful. Looking forward to the rugby, the football, all the weekend sports. Yeah, and of course the golf as well, going on down the Kite Club. Well, I suppose I'll start off with some bad news with you, and you'll be delighted Reggie isn't here because he's an avid Arsenal supporter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Brilliant game last Sunday. Uh, fantastic finish, great advertisement for the uh, Premiership. Unfortunately, as a Man United fan myself, the result didn't go our way. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. And it's sort of... Uh, Sort of hinged on the uh, disallowed goal, I would say. You know, the Garnacho was so close, wasn't it? Just offside. Uh, very, very close decision. Ken, Ken you'd, you'd have to look at that 20 times to see him offside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it was just, I don't know what it was. It might have been a bit of a short, it was just offside. But it was very, yeah. very close. Big decision. Huge. And, um, you know, it could have been a win. I thought it was good. It's a good game up to, really up to that. And then, of course, Declan Rice got a really good goal. I mean, bad defending from United, to be honest. But, uh, they probably deserved it in the end, Arsenal. But it was a really good game, as you said. And uh, United, Sean, they've got a lot of problems, uh, both on the field and off the field. You know, with the Glazers, the club being, you know, trying to be sold, but it's not going to be sold. And, and yeah. the, the share price went down 20% when it yeah. was and off the market, you know. And then the problems, of course, with the players, the abuse, allegations of Anthony, uh, the problems, of course, we had with Mason Greenwood. Uh, Jaden Sancho now, of course, a bit, a bit with the manager. You know, there seems to be a lot of, uh, an awful lot of problems on and off the field. In yeah. disarray at the moment, unfortunately. Yeah, it certainly is. And, and you talk about the stock market. I mean, uh, half a, a billion written off their shares. I yeah. mean, it, you know, if, if you were a businessman with lots of money, you, you'd certainly look elsewhere, I would think. Yeah, you would, yeah. But at the same time, you know, it's one of the biggest clubs. It's not the biggest club in the world. It, it generates so much revenue. Mm. Uh, but it's just the greed of the Glazers, you know, and the supporters would be at the end of that chat with them, you know, there'll be a lot of process, I would say, over, over the course of the season if the club isn't sold, uh, and it's going to bring more harm to the club and more harm to the share price than may try to force the Glazers out in some respect, but uh, yeah, they're, they're me- been messing around with the club for a long, long time, and needs a, a huge investment. And uh, even you could see in the transfer market, he couldn't go after the players he wanted. He had to bring a couple of players in on loan. He couldn't afford some players like Cucurella for seven million as a left full cover for Malaysia and Shaw. Uh, so they had to bring a guy who was not even playing for Tottenham or Gullion, uh, yeah. you know, on loan. And uh, yeah, it's just it's going to be very difficult. Yeah, it's in complete disarray at the moment. It is, and, and if you were living in the, the blue part of Manchester, you'd be just laughing up your sleeve at this, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And everything going so well for them. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're, they're playing fantastic football, you know. Uh, 
you know, even if Guardiola isn't on the touchline, you know, he's, he's back in Spain recovering from a back operation, but they're playing great football. The best team probably in the world at the moment. Yeah, I'd um, agree with that, yeah. Everybody be just playing for second place. I don't think they're going to get, you know, they're not going to lose in the league. Uh, but they have their own problems as well. They have a, a lot of sort of... Uh, Things hanging over, you know, about the financial fair play rules. Uh, yeah. Over 115 charges the FA have against them. I don't know how, how long that's going to take, yeah. but it'll probably take a little bit of while. But yeah. yeah, you'd have to look at you'd have to have a look at Spurs as well. I mean, they've had a tremendous start to the season, haven't they? Yeah, they have. They've done really well with their new manager. It's just come down from Celtic, played playing some good football, and uh, yeah, they're playing playing really really well. I thought they'd struggle actually without Harry Kane. Yeah. You know? went off the boy end but uh, now they play some good football scoring some good goals and uh, Son uh, the Korean uh, fantastic player he is, yeah, he is. and he went through a very dry spell there for months he didn't score uh, uh, last season yeah 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 but he's a class player he is, you know? he is. he's got off to a good start I think they've got a really good manager and uh, but I think like they're still a little bit lightweight. I, I don't think they'll last the pace, you know. No, no, they no. might struggle for for top four, but it'll be the usual suspects. Uh, yeah. Liverpool had a great win against Newcastle. They did. You know, they did two late goals. And, uh, two, and, late. And two late goals from from Nunes. It's been a little bit of a disappointment to Liverpool since he joined. But uh, he's a big lad. He's you know, and he's got a, a lot of skill, and he's got two great goals to. Uh, to, to win the match and a valuable three points away from home absolutely and tell us you were probably watching the Ireland-France soccer game uh, I don't want to steal all of Alan Cawley's piece but um, it, it was certainly all over the papers this morning and certainly Friday morning yeah no I didn't get I didn't get to see it unfortunately you know I was working and I didn't I didn't really get to see it but uh, yeah I'm sure Alan Cawley will have uh, will have lots of news about that as well yeah they got a big game of course against against Holland as well uh, which yeah. would be um, fantastic but uh, yeah What are you at yourself Ken the, the weekend snooker wise? Uh, no snooker this weekend unfortunately uh, I was supposed to be due to play in the uh, two China events over the next couple of weeks but uh, I've been drawn against Ronnie House in the first round I saw that the matches have been held over. Uh, we're playing over in China, so that will be um, the first, second week of October. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I'm looking forward to that. And loads of golf, I presume, uh, in between. Loads of golf and watching the golf as well. The golf has been fantastic, hasn't it? The K Club, what a great oh, brilliant. advertisement! Brilliant, uh, you know, for golf in Ireland. And, and will yeah. you have any interest, Ken, in in the rugby? The the big game last night, the All Blacks, oh, yes, and 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 uh, obviously Ireland are playing this afternoon. But the the, the opener last yesterday uh, was was a cracker between the All Blacks yeah. and France. Yeah, well, Reggie, you know, he's been saying for a long time, you know, the France are favourites, you know, and they showed that last night. What a what a great opener. Inside the France, are brilliant uh, to beat New Zealand. They've never been beaten in a pool game, New Zealand ever. Yeah, that was the first time. So, yeah, a great start for the host nation, and uh, of course Ireland, Romania uh, today. That would be uh, be great to to get off to a good start. Now I'm sure they will. I'm sure they won't have any problem there. But uh, yeah, it'll be a great uh, month of month of rugby, and really looking forward to it. And there's some great interesting matches coming up but Ireland have got a great chance yeah, so yeah they certainly have and, and, and uh, being ranked number one but if you look at the other side of the draw uh, Ken it's it, there's an England or a Wales or an Argentina or an Austria, Australia who ain't playing well one of them yeah. is going to go to the final yeah yeah. I think I think uh, you mentioned there Argentina could be the dark horses like, they're good a lot of people are tipping them to even to get to the final you know uh, they're a very strong side so yeah England 
not playing too well, but you know they they could turn it on at the World Cup. You know, South Africa could be a big uh, a big danger. In, yeah, uh, Ireland. Uh, a lot of the other games as well. Yeah, I, I I see I see the 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 rugby World Cup was only uh, once back one back to back once by New Zealand, but South Africa yeah. have a chance of doing it now, and they're they're a really really huge team physically. Yeah, very very big. Yeah, yeah, huge and uh, playing well as well. You know, so coming into the World Cup with a bit of form, so yeah, it should be it should be good. You know, looking forward to that. Good. Hope Ireland start off on a good foot, and you know what. Wouldn't that be amazing if Ireland went on to win the World Cup? Well, that would be yeah. incredible. Well, I suppose they'd have to have a really good look at it last night. I mean, if they don't beat South Africa and Scotland, they'll end up playing France, which they'd probably maybe better off avoiding that. But I don't think I'd ever said, I think I'd say this in rugby, uh, you're better off playing New Zealand in the quarterfinal <laughs> than France. But that seems to be after last night the way it was. But going back to what you said about South Africa, I, I did watch a warm-up game there where South Africa beat New Zealand 25-7 yeah. so maybe New Zealand aren't just good at this moment in time no they're not no and their confidence to be shaken so they have to reevaluate their, their uh, tactics and, and their, their game plan and see if they can sort of fix it you know before the the next round of games so uh, yeah so tell us tell us where you're playing your couple of games of golf next week yeah <laughs> looking forward to it the weather is lovely as well so yeah gonna enjoy it you know and where are you playing Ken um, go to Spain for a couple of days. Oh, lovely! Yeah, so that'll be nice. Down around Marbella, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, then, how's your golf going? Ah, they don't call me four right for nothing, Sean. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and tell us, uh, how do you see the the Irish Open going in the end? Then today, well, I'd love to tomorrow. see I'd love to see McIlroy make a charge, and Larry, of course, you know he's not he's not too far behind. He's only five behind, but I'd like to see him make a charge. Uh, he had he had a really good first round. He's sort of in there, five behind. Uh, we're going to cover rugby now with Dan Van Zeel. He, he should be on the line. Uh, loads of games coming up. Uh, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Sean. How are you? I am not too bad at all, Dan. Lovely morning here in the capital. Ah, listen, if the sun shines, Ireland's a great place. <laughs> indeed it is, indeed it is. Dan, I suppose that I'd have to ask you about the opening ceremony and, and the, 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 the match last night between France and New Zealand. A great opening game. Ah, oh, brilliant, you know. Um... I didn't expect that, you know, I thought there'll be a bit of a backlash from, from New Zealand, but the quality of the game in the first half, probably not what we expected, but that was the nerves and all of that. But once France got on top uh, in the forwards, you know, they showed their class and, uh, you know, it was a great spectacle. It, it certainly was, and from a, an Irish point and, and your own South African perspective, you'd be eyeing up, well, I think we're better off winning this group than playing the French in the quarter-final. What would you think of that? <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, last night before the game, I actually said, I think South Africa will be more confident playing against France just because they don't play them so often. You okay, know? But, yeah, yeah. Um, but then again, what they've done to New Zealand uh, two weeks ago, and then last night... Uh, the New Zealand pack of forwards um, that struggled a bit. I think South Africa or Ireland, for that matter, will be confident enough that they can take New Zealand on in the quarterfinals. Mm, yeah, look, and I, I saw the game you're talking about, the, the warm-up game between uh, South Africa and New Zealand, and I think it was 25-7 or something like that. But uh, watching it all, I, I felt New Zealand were lucky to be the seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially in the first 20 minutes. But yeah. look, New Zealand is a quality side. They've done that to South Africa in the past and so on and I think everybody expected a rebound last night you know and they, they had their moments in the first half 
Um, but I think, you know, the, the fact of forwards is not as dominant as what they would have been in the past with Kieran Reid and Richie McCaw and Mia yeah. Lamu. They don't have those star players anymore that, you know, I guess add that aura about them. Yeah, I suppose looking at, at the game in Bordeaux, the game in today against Romania, uh, Ireland's opponents, if you were Andy Farrell, would you have picked Johnny Sexton at, at out half and having not played in six months? <laughs> That's a very debatable one because we all know how important Sexton is to the Irish course, you know. Not having played six months, I do think it's a nice game for him to come in and I, I don't expect him to play 80. I think they'll probably play him 40 or 50 minutes, you know, just to get get going again and the fixture list actually for Ireland if you take it there's a two week gap between the South African and Scotland game that they have to play so Sexton obviously for Ireland to win the World Cup uh, is very important and you know history tells that he struggles to play probably seven games in a row Yeah. Um, but I think the fixtures might work in their favour play 50 minutes against Romania I think they'll have to start Crowley against Tonga yeah. to give him the go maybe bring Sexton on for 20 minutes Yeah, and then it's the big game against South Africa and then he's got a two week rest to play Scotland and then hopefully quarter final semi final final so I think yeah. in that <laughs> you're, sense you're, you're getting way ahead of me there Dan I think <laughs> qualified and semi final um, and, and I, I suppose I mean you would have to tip I mean Scotland are going to be dark horses in this uh, group now um, you know there's no focus on them at all it's people talking about Ireland and South Africa playing either France or New Zealand if you're living in Edinburgh or Glasgow up there you'd be kind of rubbing your hands definitely you know and uh, I think it's Simon Zebo that always says uh, as a TV pundit he always says uh, you know Scotland has been building for the last five years or whatever you know so I definitely think there's one and a possible two games in them. Uh, I, I'm slightly nervous about about Sunday, uh, tomorrow, when South Africa have to play them because I do think they've got the capability in their attack shape and so on that can cause South Africa problems. I just don't think if their pack uh, can stand up to the to the physicality over the course of the tournament. Yeah, from an Irish perspective, Dan, I mean, who has to I won't say stand up today because I, I think we'll win in Bordeaux today and probably win in, against Tonga the following week, but I mean, who in these big games, I mean, and they are going to be huge games and all four will be big games uh, Ross Barnett at out half will certainly have to get a, a run as well, but yeah. e- equally, um, who's going to have to really stand up, we'll say, the top four or five lads in, in, in the pack and uh, in the forwards, or the, you know, the backs, who's going to have to stand up for us to be successful at this. Look, I don't think anybody needs to specifically stand up for today. I think the mo- more, most important about today is get everybody through the game, you know, no injuries and so on. I do think during the tournament, everybody talks about Sexton, but I actually think Porter and Byrne are two massive players for for Ireland, you know. Uh, Byrne with his um, uh, Tyke Byrne now with his versatility as as a second row, back row. And then with the injury of Kian Healy, if Porter goes injured, mm. uh, you know, then the scrum might be under pressure. So so I think that the top players will always uh, perform. Kalen Doris is another one that I think is vital uh, for Ireland to get to go forward. Um, so today, I would say just get out of the game without any injuries. Mm. Um, you know, Tonga will be a very physical game. But if Ireland can go into the South Africa game with a full deck of cards to pick from, I think that's what they want rather than 
you know, the big players perform in the early rounds. Yeah. What kind of an influence do you think Andy Farrell and Paul O'Connell and all these guys that have kind of done it before, in particular Paul O'Connell, one of our own, but Andy Farrell, I mean, you know, how will they be trying to manage these guys through a four and a five week period? Because it's not simple to have them all living together and eating together and sleeping together and playing rugby together and training together and keep them all happy. No, and I think that's the that's the challenge, you know. And I think Argentina, South Africa, uh, you know, in past World Cups, they come together and they actually enjoy each other's company. And with um, South Africa, that's toured Super 12, you know, where you're away for five weeks in your provincial setups and so on as well, probably used to it. Where Ireland probably haven't got it right in the past. But um, just from what I'm hearing is Andy Farrell has got a, um, brilliant uh, man management uh, way about him and Paul O'Connell has, has brought that stillness into it as well so I don't think there'll be any problems with them getting it right this time like you know previous times where they probably got it wrong in 2007 and, and 2015 well, I suppose the big one that we let ourselves down in was certainly the game against Argentina yeah, and look, Argentina is going to be there again. I think they can be a dark horse. They played in two semi-finals. I don't think. I think they they can definitely be there again. So, um, but the later on in the tournament, you know, the excitement is there as well. I think the once Ireland get into the quarterfinal and get hopefully that bogey off their back um, to get into a semi-final, uh, I don't think it will matter how long they stay together. Yeah, I'll switch back to your own South Africa for for a moment. I mean, uh, Razi Erasmus, I, I just looked at the stats and 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 um, New Zealand are the only uh, team to win the World Cup back to back in eleven and fifteen, and South Africa have a chance of doing it now in nineteen and twenty three. Do you give them a chance of doing that? Look, I think you'll be you'll probably be silly not to uh, give them a chance. You know, uh, Razi when he left Munster. Uh, he said, you know, the aim was always this World Cup. The the fact that they won the 2019 World Cup just happened by chance. But all the planning, everything that they've done was geared towards this World Cup. So um, I, th- I think they'll be there, you know. Um, I, I can't see, and especially the performances that they've had over the last while. Uh, tomorrow will be another another big one, but... But I'll fancy South Africa to be in the in the playoffs. Yeah, and I suppose if we and you, you briefly touched on it there with Argentina, if we go to the far side of the draw, we're, we're all talking about Ireland and Scotland, you know, and France and New Zealand. But if we go to far side and uh, we, we we look at England, they're they're, they're struggling on or, or with, with under Steve Botwich. Um, the Australians have Eddie Jones, and if we're to listen to Eddie, sure we should be writing the ball off. <laughs> uh, the Ar- the Argentinians, you know, and the Welsh. I mean, they're all in trouble and they're not going well. But you know, whether we like it or not, unless there's a dark horse, Dan, uh, one of them is going to be in the World Cup final. Yes, and that's you know Warren Gatland, fifth World Cup. He's at Wales in semi-finals twice. Uh, Eddie Jones have got a great record as uh, personally uh, in World Cups. Australia can be dangerous. I know they've lost five in a row and so on, but they, I think they're going back to the late 90s in trying to pick individual players, you know, with a bit of flair and so on and see can they, can they create something from that. But England, I think, um, their coaching staff, I think, is the most inexperienced. And yeah. that's why I don't think they're going to I think they're going to struggle because of that. You know, they don't have a Gatlin. They don't have a 
Pacheco. They don't yeah. have a, um, Eddie Jones. So I think it might count against them. Although they've still got good players. Yeah. They've got a good back. But if you look at that back line, who's the X factor in that back line? You yeah. know, they all do what they do pretty well. But there's no X factor. And I think in all the other teams that they come up against, even Argentina today, Carreras, you know, he's got a bit of X factor. Buffili, they can do something yeah. from nothing. So, so no, I, I fear for England. You know, yeah. I think they might might be in trouble. But Australia, Australia and Argentina, for me, are the two teams that that I would say would be in the semi final. Right. Okay. So, so, so that's a that's a, a big one. If we go back then to to last night, I mean, Fabien Galtier, the French coach. I mean, he 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 had a very you know very slow start last night, as you said. But it really showed their class and power and pace and everything in the end. Ah, definitely. You know, three big injuries before the World Cup started. And Julie Bear, I mean, he was excellent last night, you know, the cry of Pinot. Um, and so he's very intimate-like. Um, so I don't think they lose anything. And for Bordeaux, he's been excellent in the last couple of seasons. So, um, you know, that's the fear again of South Africa without with only Libok, who's again goal kicking is a problem and so on so I think France have got the depth uh, you know and their competition allows for that as well so no France I, I think after last night they really they really put a marker down yeah I suppose I have to ask you this a little bit of research on you last night you were a smashing cricket player as well <laughs> a lot of people will say probably a better cricket player <laughs> than a player you know um, yeah 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 so, uh, yeah, look, I was a bit of a licorice all sorts, you know, could <laughs> could bowl a bit, could bat a bit and could field a bit, you know, but... Uh, Sounds like an all-rounder to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm still very passionate about cricket and so on, but rugby brought me to Ireland. I'm here 22 years, uh, you know, would have coached a lot of the players in the current yeah. Irish team as 17 and 18-year-olds, so, so I really hope that they're going to go well. Yeah. And last question, really, b- before we switch. Uh, New Zealand coach Ian Foster, I mean, how does he pick his team up after last night? He seems a positive guy, yeah. but I think it's going to be difficult. If you looked at the faces, Ardi Surveyor's face afterwards, shaking his head and so on, I didn't think they saw that coming two weeks in a row. Um, you know, they, they're a proud nation. They've got the history... And everything, but yeah. you know, already having picked Scott Robinson as their coach after the World Cup, you know, they might be. They, I don't know how confident they are, okay, uh, or will be going into the World Cup. And what they what they don't have is a Scotland game. Um, you know, their group is quite easy, so okay. they're not going to have another game that can challenge okay. them and get rid of the of the uh, of the dangers. Time for GAA. Declan Drake was around the the, the, the county uh, during the week for the ladies' football midweek matches. Have a listen to his report. It was a busy night last Wednesday as the 2023 go-ahead Dublin Ladies Senior Football Championship continued with games in both groups of the competition. In Group A, defending champions Kimmich Crokes didn't play, so opportunities for other sides to push on for extended championship runs were available. Valley Bowden St. Enders powered past Castle Knock 6-9 to 1-10, while Clontarf edged out St. Sylvester's by 15 points to 2 goals and 8. So, a three-way tie at the top in Group A. Kilmacud Croaks, Valley Bowden St. Enders and Clontarf are all locked together. Of the three, Bowden have played three games, the others have played just two each. So, that Intensity of battle will continue next Wednesday when the action resumes there in the hunt for semi-final positions. 
To Group B now and two contrasting games took place here as well. Nafina continued their excellent early season form in the Championship, disposing of Kula, 5.21 to 4 points, while Fox Rock Cabantili, where they had to come from behind late to snatch a 1-8 apiece draw with Thomas Davis. And in terms of the Group B table, it is Fox Rock who lead the way with seven points from three outings. Nafina are second a point adrift with a game less played. And for Thomas Davis, while they're not quite out of it just yet, they do have four points from their three games. Speaking of that game on the Kiltipper Road last Wednesday when the dust had settled, I caught up with Fox Rock Cab manager. Uh, thank you for that, Declan. Excellent as always and it gets around the county for football, hurling, ladies football, the whole lot. Uh, I'm delighted to, to be joined in studio by Orla Nolan. Or, Norla was the centre forward on the successful Dublin team that won the All-Ireland final. Good morning, Orla. Morning, how are you? Very good, very good. Nice <laughs> to see you. Orla, we just want to... It, Acknowledge the, the, your, yourself, but also the, the Dublin team that won the All Ireland, and we'd just like to have a chat to you about your story in ladies football and playing Kerry in All Ireland final and what that's like. I'd start off with they always say years ago with a two mark question. I mean, how did you get started in ladies football? Uh, yeah, a couple of years, like well, a few good few years now. So um, I would have started up with Volunteer St John's in the uh, the nursery. Um, my dad took me down one Saturday, and I just couldn't wait for the Saturdays to roll around again. Keep going every week. Right, yeah. And how long did you play with Ballantyre at underage then before you, because you've had a career in a lot of different sports? Yeah, I would have dipped in and out of kind of soccer and Gaelic when I was underage. Um, I probably took a good few years off to kind of play with Shamrock Rovers in the Women's National League. Um, how did that go? It was good. Uh, we played, I think I played with Shamrock Rovers for the first two years and then moved on to DLR and that amalgamated into UCD Waves. Um, we made, I think, two FAI Cup finals, but we're never lucky enough to get over the line. But okay. now it's times that I look back on and I enjoy. Good, good. And I suppose, look, if you were looking at the Dublin ladies team, um, you know, February, March, and April, and you spoke to people, they'd be saying maybe Cork, maybe Galway might win the All Ireland or Mayo. Uh, Dublin would have been way back in everybody's thoughts based on the two previous years. At what stage did did the girls and and did Mick Bohan kind of say, hold on, there, there's something on here? Um, we, you know, and it just seemed to change at some stage last March, April, May. I don't know, but there was certainly a different Dublin team came out. Yeah, I think like even looking back ourselves, we probably would have put us under that bracket too. Like maybe we could get to it, but probably unlikely. Um, I think the Kerry match in the group stage, the All Ireland's kind of gave us a good idea that we were we were in the ballpark. You know, we kind of didn't start off well. What, what did they beat you that day? I think it was only I think it was two or three points in the okay. end but like they definitely ran up the score at the start like I think we gave them five or six minutes and they just like every chance they got they managed to find the net or stick it over the bar um, but we, we managed to get back into that game and I think we were disappointed with ourselves in the last 13 minutes or so like I don't think we actually took a shot on mm. a goal at the end so we knew then that if we kind of performed for, for the full 60 minutes you know we were definitely in the ballpark and then I think for us against Donegal then we went up to a, a Bally Buffet in the quarterfinals and that would have been the stage that we got knocked out at uh, in previously and I think there was just there's a bit of tension kind of like like this was where it ended last last year and it could be the same again so I think we realised that over those months like March, April all, like even back as far as November you know, we were putting the work in all the coaches kind of covered all the bases so if we kind of stepped out on the day and put all the hard work into like into our performance then I think we knew that we we could push on and really have good performance and I think we just came together all the players at the start of that match and I think we acknowledged the tension but like look this could go very bad or it could go great so like let's just acknowledge that we put all the hard work in 
and every single person was willing to we knew that every single person then that you looked into their eyes like they were willing to, to empty the themselves extra mile, yeah, yeah so I think yeah. when that then transpired on what transpired on the pitch against Donegal I think we we knew that like if we kept going after what we were going after that you know coming up against Cork the next and then Kerry too yeah. that we'd the work done so it was just a case of actually having to get out and put it out on the pitch and then Cork in the semi-final a kind of team play a little bit like Dublin as well they're always on the front foot I mean how did that game go? Yeah, again, probably nerves going into that because you know how damaging Cork can be against Dublin, especially like we've been on the, the end of a couple of bad uh, results in all our finals against them. So again, it was a day that our season could have finished, but I think in a way too, we almost went out excited and happy to play against Cork because they're one of those teams that play front foot and so are we. So, you know, it's kind of a case of if I win my own battle here today and if all our 15 players do too, then we'll be in a good position. So again, it was just, let's get out, do what we know that we can do and kind of produce on the day. Excellent. And, and I suppose, you know, the, the, the final was almost a fairy tale. I mean, Hannah Tyrrell up front, everybody working as hard as they can. You found yourself way ahead against the favourites. Um, that was a special day in winning it, but, but also the celebrations with the young kids afterwards um, certainly was uh, uplifting. Yeah, I think looking back on it now, that's definitely like my proudest moment, definitely in the first half to being on a Gaelic pitch um, for my life. And like, I think we were shooting into the Davin stand and I think there was like four or 500 kids from Volunteer uh, sitting behind the goal and like every kind of now and then you'd look up and there's just bursts of like the tangerine and the black. I'm kind of glad we weren't playing our mad because I'd say they would have come along in the orange anyway and you wouldn't have known if they were for you or not. But no, it was yeah. brilliant yeah. to see them. And, and in the fairness, I watched you, you got around to th- that little car in the Davin stand from, from where our own club is and you got to talk to certainly 200 of the 400 girls and signed things uh, much appreciated by everybody I, like, I, complete, I absolutely appreciate their support so like it's only right that you kind of you give a back show to them on, on those days too that like the amount of um, the amount of like emotion it is to, to have them there and to kind of get you over the line too like they deserve like all the credit too for for the support Absolutely. that they show you. One last question: How does a, a, a wing back become a centre forward? In my own days, which are a long time ago, a centre forward could become a wing back, but that's usually when you were in your early thirties. But you <laughs> went the other way, where you need some speed and yeah. have to play most of the game with your back towards the opponent's goal. How did you get round to that? Yeah, I suppose actually, I probably would have went into the Dublin setup in twenty nineteen as a, as a forward. And like in the in-house games, and we were, I would have been kind of marking, you know, Sinead Goldrick, Alwyn Carey, Siobhan McGrath. I just found that I couldn't get on the ball, you know, like they had an extra, they just had something extra that I didn't have at that stage. So I suppose I was lucky enough that uh, Mick kind of said that he'd try me in the backs one day. Like it could have been the end of my road kind of as a forward. So I was lucky enough that they gave me the chance to kind of go back. And I just tried to use what like Sinead Goldrick and all them, like getting out in front. I just tried to use that. Yeah. Um, when I went back to that position so, and that kind of that came off for me I felt like I kind of oh. found my feet then um, and I suppose this year with players stepping away like Lindsay Davey um, Nicole Owens not being there this year it's probably a couple like a, just an opening in the forwards so got the chance there this year and yeah and you really certainly it. took it yeah I suppose ladies football a hugely growing sport but there is huge fall offs between say 14, 15 and 16 what advice would you give girls um, at, at that age group? And we take our own club, Ballantyre St. John's, we're building teams left, right and centre and every grade has two and three teams. It's brilliant to see it, ladies football. But but it, it can be difficult to keep 15 and a half, 16, 17 year old girls. Would you have any advice for them? Yeah, yeah. I just kind of, like for me personally, I love going out and kind of just kicking the ball over the bar. Like, 
practicing catching, whatever. Um, and it doesn't have to be in a high pressured uh, like area that you're going aiming for. So I just, f- if you can find something in the game that you love and really hone in on that, like just keep going at, keep going after that and kind of finding that. Uh, I find that that kept me going. You know, there's areas that you love and you just want to keep going out and doing it every day. So yeah, well yeah. done. Or it was lovely having you in studio. They say in Dublin when you win an All Ireland that you can walk the streets of Dublin with pride. I know you for years, and you can certainly walk the streets and roads and byways of Ballantyre with grace. Thank you very much for joining us in studio. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Will. Uh, next up, we have um, a, an overview from uh, Brian Talty, who's going to join us on the line to have a look at the tour round of the Dublin Senior Football Championship. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Sean. How are you? I'm not too bad. The last time you and me met. I think you were running around or walking around St. Anne's Park in Rahini looking for your son and I, myself and Carol were looking at our daughter playing in goal in Camogie, if I'm not right. That's right. I can guarantee you one thing, I was walking, not running. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Brian, I've looked at uh, all the fixtures and we wouldn't have time to go through them all, but if I yeah. just go through the key games with you, if I take Group 1, it's fair to say Bowden have beaten Ballantyre and Ballymun and will, will more than likely beat Temple Oak Sing Street. But a big game in, in that group, Ballantyre, Ballymun, uh, winner take all. One side you've James McCarthy, Johnny Small, Dean Rock. On the other side, Ballantyre have done tremendous work. They're the current under-21A champions. Uh, Jack Lundy, the uh, own Fitz, the, uh, Eno Hare, the Devereux brothers. Uh, making huge strides, Ballantyre are. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, you're close, very close to that, you know. And you can see over the last few years as well, not alone those young lads, but they put up some great performances in championship. I think last year, Sean, you may correct me if I'm wrong, but they, they ran Bally Bowden very, very tight. And uh, it, it, it came down to the last few minutes before Bowden actually won that game, you know. So, and, and we've seen Ballantyre this year put up, they put up huge scores, Sean. I mean, they, I think in their first round against Bowden, which was again a tight game, they scored 113. And yeah. I think. Against Singer the Leicester, they scored something like three fourteen. No, no, the no, well, they certainly got four away. four goals today against Singer. Yeah, sorry, four goals. Yeah, sorry, that's right. Yeah. But um, it's just giving away the scores is probably a problem for them now yeah. at this stage. But like when you, as you say, when you look at Lundy and you look at the likes of Luke Bratnock and and Dunica Carey up there in the forward line, I'm sure Sean Sean Dempsey will be putting something in place to make sure that they're a lot more tight against uh, against Ballymun, and they certainly will have to be. Um, you know, Ballymun haven't been shooting the lights out, Sean, as you can see yourself yeah. with the scores and how tight their games have been. But I think the longer they have their county players back with them and training with them, uh, the better they'll get. And I did see them train the other night here in Abbottstown and uh, they look very sharp. So it's going to be a really tight game. And as you say, all the young lads from Ballantyre, I think the experience is on the, the, the Ballymun side and Ballymun really want to get to, uh, mm. to the quarterfinals. So it's going to be tight, but I think with the experience and it's the lads you mentioned, like look at the forward line that uh, Bellingham have with Rock, Paddy Small, yeah. uh, you know McCarthy coming through. Yeah. They have the likes of, of uh, Young Bulger, Davy Byrne, these fellas, yeah. are really experienced players. So I think the experience might just stand to them in the end of the day. Okay, uh, Group Two then. Um Brian, Croaks uh, have to play scaries, but I, I, I'll take it that, that, that they will probably get over that. It's it's up to Castleknock then to get past Sylvester's, who, as we know, were beaten by Vincent's last year in the Senior B final. How do you see that one going? Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be an interesting one, all right. You know, I have to say at the start with Sean, the, the performance of Scaries the last day against Sylvester's was really good. Their young lads really stood up and they got some really good scores. So, uh, a very tight game there. I just have a feeling... 
Castlenock played really well against Cross, you know, and they really went at them. They took the ball at them. They ran at them. They got some great scores, and you had the likes of Kieran Kilkenny playing really well, Luke Shaw playing well, Senator Falk driving forward. Uh, so they're really going at it, um, and I just think they're going to be that bit stronger and, and a little bit more experienced than Sylvester's the next day. Now Sylvester's. They have a lot of really good young fellas, and I yeah. think that's what Derek Roach is at out there, is trying to blend these fellas in with the likes of the Hazleys and stuff like that. Now, the big problem for, for, for uh, Castle Mount might be that if Jack Hazley goes to full forward, he can be very dangerous. So, uh, But I think, as I say, with the forward line that Castle Mount have, uh, the way they run at teams, the way they take teams on, and they do that against Crooks, I think they'd have to be favourites for that, Sean. Yeah, and Group Three is 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 pre- really the one that you'd nearly have to talk about. Everybody, you have a situation yeah. where if Rahini beat Luke, and my understanding is they beat Kula head to head. So if they can beat Luke, and who have surprised me so far, they've won none of their two games. Um, if they can get over Luke and um, Rahini, be in the quarter final, which would be great progress for them. Yeah, absolutely. And look, you'd be kind of expecting it a bit, Sean, to be honest with you. When you look at uh, particularly the county lads that I have, when you when you look at Fenton, Howard, McMahon, and, and now also they have Rob Henley in goal, which was a problem for them for the last while. Um, you know, and add that to the young fellas that they have, like Darren Lunny and Keen Ivers. Um, you know, you'd be expecting them to be doing well. And I expected them to do a little bit better the last day, to be honest with you. Um, but as you know and I know, Thomas Davis is always very hard to play yeah. against. So, so uh, this is an interesting one. Because as you say, Lucan haven't uh, won any of their games. Yeah. But they're always dangerous. And now they're under pressure. They, they have to get out and win this game. And if they do, you know, they could be in the, in the quarterfinal. Or if they lose... They're in relegation trouble. That's so right. That's there's the way it's pressure looking. on them now, you know. So, uh, but but when you look at them and you t- said yourself, Derek, Derek Newcomb and, and and Darren Gavin in the middle of the field, that'll be that'll be strong. But I'm just hoping that the county fellas and the experienced county lads will push Rahini on and, and maybe get a victory there and get them through to a quarter final. Yeah, it is a group that could end up with Davis's on six and the other three on two points, but it equally could end up where either Davis's Kula and Rahini all on four points and Lucan on right. no points. So that's wide open. T- tip, give me two do you, you think will come out of that group, um, Ryan? Um, I think Kula could put up a big performance the next day. They haven't been playing that well in that. But when you, when you think of a forward line that have Conor Callahan, Nilo Callahan in the forward line, um, they could put a big performance against Davis's. But I think the fact that the game is in Upward Park might suit the way Davis's play and... You'd be, I'd be hoping, being a Rahini man, yeah. that, that Davis would win or draw that game and that Rahini would uh, put on a, a good performance against Lucan and, and win that. But as you say yourself, looking at that group and looking at the, the previous games, anything could happen. Yeah, and I suppose the, the real, to me anyway, and even, I, although I'm a Southsider, the Group 4 game, Jude's are true, but Vincent's and Nafina, a, a mouth-watering uh, Offend, but you know, Vincent's are not performing well in the league, haven't done terribly well in the championship today. The young side, uh, how do you see that one going? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think everybody in Dublin football are waiting for Nafina to come and win a championship because when you look at the talent that they have, it's unbelievable. Uh, their forward line, you know, they're pacey, they're, they're skillful, they can score. The one thing that they're lacking is, is some kind of a big target man at full forward or somebody that can yeah, the forwards are nice let's put it that way Sean yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so I, I watched them in a league game here lately and, and they had Kieran Redden 
uh, who's won all Ireland's with Dublin, playing at full forward, and I thought he made a huge difference to that forward line. But now they've moved him to the middle of the field. But look, they have so much talent. They've won all sorts of under-21s and everything coming through, and we're all waiting for them to put on this big, huge performance. Now they've added to their middle of the field, and Conor Early from Loud, who's a really good midfielder as well, so they were having problems around there. So they look very strong, and I, I as you say... Uh, Vincent hasn't been playing well yeah. uh, Tony Dunn I think is putting a lot of young fellas together he's also added uh, which is interesting um, Dara Cummins and, and Adrian Cummins from Sligo at number 3 and number 6 and they've been playing really well so you know you, Vincent would be expecting a big performance on, but I can't see them beating Nafina if Nafina you know uh, play well Yeah and I suppose uh, Brian when the dust settles after the weekend uh, who would you see as the two or three top contenders before we go to a break here? Yeah, Sean, to be, to be honest, I can't look past uh, Crokes, to be honest with you. But, and, and we'll have the same same guy. I think we possibly will have Ballymun if they start playing well and, you know, if they've blended in their county players. Uh, Ballyboden, um, Nafina and Jude. And I think at the, the end of the day, I think Crokes will probably come out on top. Right, OK. Well, you've heard it all, as Declan Drake yeah. would say on, on, on the thing. Um, I'm just going to finish off with a little camogie wrap here so you can stay on the line till the end of the GAA section. Uh, tomorrow morning we have four rounds of the Senior Camogie Championship in Group 1. Vincent's playing Afina, interesting enough, the same in the football. Vincent's are a home game at 10.30. Bowden and Lucan, two big games. Um, Bowden win, they're through to the semi-final. Nafina lose, they're out in the other game. So that's uh, trying to get everybody to to the home game is at Vincent's and, and Bowden, 10.30. In the other group, uh, we have Jude's at home to Ballantyre St. John's and we have Castle Knock versus Plunkett's. Uh, again, both games uh, in one in time in North and the second one out in Castle Knock. As many supporters as we possibly can get to get to do that. It's our soccer section now with Alan Colley. I think you're on the line there, Alan. Good morning to you. Morning, Sean. How are you? I'm not too bad, Alan. I'm not too bad. Unfortunately, I have to start off with some hard questions about last Thursday night. I mean... <laughs> With Deschamps' uh, French team with Mbappe and Giroud and Griezmann and Dembele, like we're miles off that, Alan, I think. Yeah, a million miles off that, Sean, and everybody knew that going into the game. So, in terms of analysing the game, I think you could take it in isolation and, and you could try and delve deep into it. But if we were to play France 100 times, we'd lose 99 times out of 100 with the qualities they have. And they would be, beat most countries, not just us. I think the disappointment comes really from, I suppose, the earlier part of the campaign and particularly that Greece game. Yeah. Because you could accept the defeat against France and everybody, as we, as we knew at the start of the group, they have five wins now, 15 points. Everybody knew they were going to top the group. But we always felt as though we were in with a fighting chance maybe to finish second. And to finish second, we would have always had to beat Greece twice yeah. and put out our best foot against obviously the Netherlands, to give ourselves a chance. Obviously, the Greek game has almost killed momentum in the group. And the game the other night just highlights, I suppose, the golfing quality and the golfing class because France were absolutely outstanding. They were. And I know on the night we were missing Evan Ferguson and a lovely player and we all saw him score his hat-trick against Newcastle. Uh, how good a player is he? Now, I, I don't think myself, and I'm not an expert on soccer, he would have made a huge difference on Thursday night. But um, how good a player is he, Alan? Yeah, obviously he's a very exciting talent. Um, we've known about Evan now the past three or four years, really, since he, he made his debut for Bohemians in the League of Ireland and there's been a lot of noise around him and hype. 
Um, and now he's obviously doing it at the very highest level and to score a hat-trick in the Premier League is absolutely phenomenal, Sean. Like If you look at the company he's keeping in yeah. terms of lads who've only scored a hat-trick at 18 years of age, Michael Owen and Robbie Fowler. So that yeah. kind of tells you the, the company that he's in at the moment. He's at a brilliant football club. He has a brilliant manager in the Zerby. But at the end of the day, he's still only 18 years of age. So he has lots to learn and he has plenty to develop. And I think we should just let him get on with the development He's in the perfect environment to develop as a player. Unfortunately for us, we don't have too many top-quality centre-forwards, so there is a lot of expectation pinned on his young shoulders already. But I think his, his best days in, a, in an Ireland jersey will certainly come if we just allow it to happen. Yeah, and I suppose you'd have to add in his favour too that like he did get the hat-trick against a, a reasonably good side but a good manager that are actually playing well at the moment. Yeah, obviously Newcastle are very, very good and a Champions League team, as you say, with a good manager, a really strong team. So, yeah, to do with it, I suppose, again, against any opposition in the Premier League, but particularly maybe a Champions League team, but they've always had high hopes for Evan over in Brighton. They speak very highly of him. Um, so I don't think it's come as a huge surprise to people involved at Brighton that have been kind of closely monitoring him for the last two or three years. Maybe the fact that he scored a hat-trick, people, it, it obviously makes people take up and take heed and, and, and puts a lot more scrutiny on him. Like you look at match of the day last week and Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer and they're all speaking glowingly of him as well. So it makes people stand up and take notice. But anyone who's close to Irish football or close to Brighton would certainly have known of Evan's talents over the last three or four years. And it's just brilliant to see a young player come along. And I suppose for us who it seems like there's a lot of maybe doom and gloom around the national team at the moment and it's been a long time since we've had a top quality player played at the very elite level it's exciting for all of us as well to see just how far he can go and yeah. I certainly think he'll have, a, he'll have a very very long career and a brilliant career in, in the game Excellent and I suppose if you're Stephen Kenny and you go to, to, to France and you lose 2-0 and you wake up and there's criticism and you realise that you're facing Ronald Koeman and the Dutch on Sunday evening uh, that certainly won't cheer you up no, and this window was always going to be difficult, Sean, because of the fact is what we were saying earlier about the, the way the fixtures were scheduled and this double header with France away and Netherlands at home, as I say, was going to be the hardest part of the group. But the earlier match with Greece, if we had to, even if we had to draw on that, yeah. you would have maybe accepted defeat against France knowing that you're going into the Netherlands game still very much in the mix and if we were to pick up even a draw but a, but a win at home and give ourselves a chance that we were still very much in the mix yeah. but again because of that defeat earlier in the campaign you lose again against France it just feels like I suppose the year has been taken out of the bubble a little bit and, and it just feels even for and I was one of Stephen's biggest fans and supported him wanted to see him do well for the right reasons as well because I thought he deserved the shot and I thought he'd do a good job and he has done a good job to a point in bringing a lot of young lads through you have to look at the pool of players he's picking from as well, Sean. Yeah. That's very difficult for him, lads that are not getting much game time in the UK. We don't have the elite players that we once had. So all that's difficult. But ultimately, he's the manager and this is the fourth campaign. Yeah. And we almost feel as though we're out of the campaign before it even starts again. Yeah, is it possible, Alan, though, we'll say at the end of the season, and we won't talk about the, 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 the Greek game, we'll say, in, in Dublin, but the only team we may beat will, 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 will be beat Gibraltar. Maybe beat them twice. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a real possibility of that, Sean, yeah. and that's why the criticism comes then. Like, people will accept losing the game to France. Like, you look at the reaction the other night, everybody knows France are on a whole different level to us. So, as I said, if we play them 100 times, they're going to win 99 out of 100, guaranteed. So, people will accept that. 
it's the defeats to Greece and yeah. Luxembourg and Armenia and the teams that we feel as though we should be beating. Yeah. They're the ones that have obviously caught Stephen out and that's why the criticism comes. And as I say, if we're to look back on the end of this campaign and the only teams that we've beaten are Gibraltar and we're sitting fourth yeah. and Greece are ahead of us and the Netherlands are ahead of us and France... Like, I think then Stephen is facing an uphill task to try and keep his job. Yeah, and I suppose, look, that was my next question. I mean, if you were the man making the decision, would you keep him there till after the season, after this competition is over, or would you have a serious conversation with him now? I think, uh, not now, no. Yeah. I, and and it's, sometimes it's hard to have these chats, I suppose, when he's still in the job and Stephen still feels he's the right man and wants to, wants to do well and all that. But ultimately are judged on results in the campaign and I think the FBI were always going to review it again at the end of this campaign and I think Stephen's fully aware of that as well he would have certainly hoped for better now that's not to say we can't get a result tomorrow Yeah. and if we were to beat Greece then all of a sudden obviously the whole thing has turned on its head but the competitive record that he has is only 5 wins in 25 games as well we're almost asking him to win 3 games on the trot now against yeah. elite opposition and the only team we've beaten kind of high in the rankings so far is Scotland and um, you look at the other teams we've beaten they're all low, lowly yeah. ranked teams so like it's a big ask to try and win three or four games on the trot now when we've only won five out of 25 under Stephen yeah. so I don't think Stephen will be under any illusions as well that if the campaign maintains at the, at the pace that it's going and, and we were to finish fourth or even third yeah I think he'll know he'll, he, he'll be up against it to try and hold on to his job. Yeah. I suppose on the domestic front then, um, I was looking at the, the table and I see Rovers, they have 20 league titles, they're going for their 21st. When it all boils down, is it going to boil down to the game between Rovers and Derry coming up shortly? I think is it next Friday or Friday week? It's Friday night, Sean, yeah. It's going to be a massive game. Um, and I think, to be fair, at the start of the season... It, it's up in Derry as well, Alan, isn't it? It's in Derry, yeah. yeah. Derry of home advantage and Derry are coming off the back of a 5-0 win against UCD. That was their game in hand. So they're only four points behind now going into that. If they were to win, obviously it's back to a point and it's game on with only six games to go. Yeah. But the flip side of that, if Shamrock Rovers to win, it's seven points clear with only six games and then you would think it's all over. But at the moment, I feel it's very much in the melting pot and I do give Derry a really good shot and a really good chance because they're a very good team. And I think at the start of the season as well, Sean, yeah. we would have always tipped Derry to, to be the closest rivals to Shamrock Rovers. That's the way it's played out as well. I know St. Pat's have had a really good run of recently and Bohemians up to last week might have felt they might have been in the race. Mm. But I think the most realistic challengers were always going to be Derry. And that game on Friday night, I can't emphasise just how big it is. It's absolutely massive. And, and Rovers, I, I know that we'll say Pats and Bows and these may be out of it, but, but they, they still have a couple of uh, Dublin derbies left Rovers, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and, and even though they may feel as though they're out of it in terms of winning it, oh. they still have a big say in it. Yeah. Because, as you say, obviously if they're, if they're to play Shamrock Rovers, they could take points off them and that could help Derry or vice versa. So I just feel as though St. Pats are a little bit ahead of schedule to win a league title because John Daly only came in three or four months ago and he's done a great job and to be fair to Declan Devine it was something similar it was his first season so I never had them down as realistic title challengers but if they were to get into Europe that would be a successful season for them and they're obviously still at the FEI Cup as well yeah. there's still lots to play for for all the teams and it makes it exciting for us for the last five or six weeks as well it, does, it does indeed let's slip across the water and I suppose look at Manchester City can win games with their manager over in Spain. I mean, it, it seems to be, and I we touched on it with, with, with um, Ken Doherty earlier this morning, they just seem to be a machine and, and just playing a brand of football at a level that nobody's going to touch them. 
yeah, they're so strong, and as you said, even whether the manager is on the sideline or whether he's at home, like it's a lot of it is player driven as well. He's a phenomenal manager, but but they're so well versed in what to do because the manager is brilliant in in his prep and and what he does in terms of getting them ready for the games. They can nearly afford to not have them on the sideline, and they're still winning matches with the quality that they have. So it will be very difficult for anyone to topple them. But I do give Arsenal a chance as well, Sean. The yeah. strength in the off season. I know they haven't hit the heights yet, but they've still t- 10 points out of 12. Um, and they're, they're looking strong themselves without hitting top gear. True, true. So it's only early days yet. I think we're only four or five games into it. Yeah. So and I suppose Man City are yeah. phenomenal. I do give Arsenal a, a good chance. Very it? good, yeah. And I suppose we, we have to mention Manchester United. I mean, it just doesn't seem to be coming right there at all. Again, we, we, we spoke briefly this morning on that. Um, everything that can go wrong seems to go wrong even the way the game finished last Sunday where they got a goal and it was overruled by VAR and next thing not only did Arsenal get a goal they got two goals Yeah the ending was unbelievable wasn't it and, yeah. and I suppose the roller coaster of emotions you, you go from one elation really to, to just downward disappointment in, in the space of three or four minutes as you see you think you've won the game and you end up actually losing it which is unbelievable really but it's just a big big job for whoever's manager Man United we've seen the managers that have gone before since Alex Ferguson elite managers and they've struggled out of another one in Ten Hag and he's finding it difficult at the moment they're struggling to sign players they're struggling against the financial fair play kind of to get players in I know they've spent a lot of money so I don't think money's the issue no. because people in Florida have spent a billion over the last 10 years it's just been badly managed bad recruitment and and they're, like you're talking there about Ireland being a million miles off France and United are a million miles off Man City oh 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 absolutely and Chelsea another team uh, spending loads of money are, are making no impact either with, with a good manager uh, supposedly yeah no I think in fairness to Pochettino he's only in the door so that'll take a bit of time there was a bit of a circus at Chelsea last year but I do think in time he will get it right I think he's a very good manager Pochettino but again Sean as you say the, the spending is crazy mm. like absolutely phenomenal the way the game has gone and the money that's been spent and and you've no divine right just because you spend money to have a great team yeah. like Man City have spent money but it still takes managing Liverpool obviously they've an elite manager as well so that despite the fact that you're signing players for 100 million you still have to put a structure and a shape on the team and unfortunately yeah. for them clubs the likes of United and Chelsea at the moment they don't seem to have that yeah that's for sure Liverpool had a fantastic finish to the Newcastle game no more than United or Arsenal, I'd say, at one stage when they won down, they'd have taken a draw. But little did they know that the new centre-forward pops up and gets two fantastic goals. Yeah, brilliant finish. Uh, Nunes, and, and it might give him the confidence to kick on because I think with Liverpool, because they had the poor season last year, but if you think before that, Sean, the success that they had and how good they were, yeah. like Liverpool are a brilliant side. Yeah. And I think they've freshened it up well in that midfield area. They've lost a lot of the older ones with Henderson and Fabinho. Yeah. But they've McAllister, uh, Sabasalai, they've brought in that lad Endo, Bravin Mark um, as well from Bayern Munich. So um, they've strengthened well up forward. They still have Salah, Nunes, Diaz. So I think Liverpool will be in with a chance as well at top of Man City. I just worry for them a little bit defensively, but going forward and score goals. And the last two weeks, you think that finish against Newcastle. And then the hammered Aston Villa as well. Two very good teams. Yeah. So Liverpool are strong. Thanks for listening to Dublin Stock and Sport on Sunshine 106.8 from myself, Ken and Reggie. Have a good weekend.